I hope I can steal a little summoning from you, Dave. Three balls, two strikes, the pitch. Swing and a long drive. Deep left The flags go up, churning and burning. They yearn for the cup. They deftly maneuver and muscle for rank. Few burning fast on an empty. Welcome to this week's edition of Stats on Deck. I'm Nick Laporte. I'm joined by Jake Adams. Jake, tell me about Vogelbach. That big boy can hit. Apparently. This uh this kid came out of nowhere for the Seattle Mariners. I don't know how many people are watching the Seattle Mariners. Not after. a lot. Well, I can tell you they're watching in Tokyo. Okay. <laughs> sure are, yeah. Um, no, this this kid, Daniel Vogelbach, if he runs into one, it's going a long, long ways. Now, don't ask him to run. No. Don't ask him to steal bases or go first to third on a hit. Right. And um, a guy of his size, probably destined more or less to be a, a DH for the majority of his career. I mean, not, not like he can't play first base, but... Um, yeah, we're looking at the, the rookie leaderboards fourth on the list and wins above replacement, a not insignificant 1.3. No. And, um, looking up it on his, uh, fan graphs, he was drafted by the Cubs initially. Right. Um, great. The, once again, drafting great. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, you know, played through rookie ball, um, a high a ball and then made it up to triple a with the Cubs. Right. Um, played 89 games with them, had 16 home runs in 2016. And then he got traded to the Mariners. Uh, during that year, and I mean, he's just—I mean, he's done his time. Yep. And uh, finally got called up to the Mariners uh, this year, and I mean, he's been a huge bright spot for them, and he's producing with power. I think. Yeah. Two weeks ago, he had a walk off. He had a game tying home run in the ninth, and then walked yep. it off with a single to help them win a game. He's the on, only uh, Pete Alonso is ahead of him for rookie home runs. So, at twelve at this point in the season is nothing to laugh at. That's a no. strong power output in about six weeks. And he's also leading all rookies in uh, walk percentages at seventeen point four as well. So that's yeah. encouraging. And that's what you want to see, though, because uh, like we we were talking about just a second ago, when rookies strike out, we can live with it because mm-hmm. they're going to learn to walk. But and we're talking about a guy who can already walk. Yeah, I mean, no, he's he's a little bit older, so he's had time to mature right. in the minor leagues. But it's nice to see guys come up to the big leagues and be able to put up quality at bats. Right. I mean, for example, his um, his walk percentage, which is seventeen point four, is right in line with um, Bryce Harper's career walk percentage. Which so, I mean, that's a guy who walks just about as much as anybody. So, right, not bad. So, in building our up into this point, two months in our rookie team, yeah, we've got. Date a DH Daniel Vogelbach. Yeah. Um, I think Pete Alonso is somebody that you could speak to as well as having yeah. kind of a breakout year. Yeah, Pete Alonso has, uh, even though the Mets have started to fall off, Pete Alonso has been the guy for them. Kind of came out of nowhere, in my opinion. I mean, I, I feel like I'm up on the Mets as much as anybody uh, outside of their own team's fans. And uh, Pete Alonso, just uh, amazing power numbers. He's scoring runs for them, and um, yeah, I mean, not a guy you're going to expect to hit 300, but definitely having a positive impact on that Mets franchise. I mean, 14 home runs at this point through yeah. 44 games, I mean, is not anything to laugh at. He's and driving in also runs. Also, just the the home runs that he hits, not, not like it matters, right? because we all know a home run's a home run, but... I mean, this guy's hitting some moonshots, as you've seen. He is, which actually falls in line with another person on this list who has just recently come up. Yes. I might be biased here, 
but I'm a big fan of Michael Chavez, a.k.a. Chavez Ravine, <laughs> a.k.a. the Ice Horse. Yes, and Chavez uh, doesn't have as many games played here as some of these other guys on the list because he didn't come up to start the season. Mm-hmm. But, um, I mean, talk about turning the, the season around early on. Yeah, I mean, he gave the Red Sox a shot in the arm that they needed to get back over 500 and yeah. kind of go on that 8 of 10 stretch. Um, he came up out of necessity for Dustin Pedroia, who's had the lingering knee issues and we needed to fill. He's traditionally a third baseman, yeah. but he's actually segued over to second base really, really well, which is not an easy thing to he's do. playing good defense for the most part. I mean, fine I mean, fine enough, way more than we expected, but the bat has been the thing yeah. that's just been, I mean, revitalizing to this team. I mean, yeah. like you said, it doesn't matter how far you hit them, but this kid doesn't hit cheap <laughs> ones. <laughs> he just hit one today uh, about an hour ago. <laughs> And uh, I don't know if it's come down yet. No, it's still it's still going. But, I mean, through 24 games, you've got seven home runs, 21 RBIs. You've stolen a couple bases. You're yeah. walking a little bit. Strike, like you said, yeah. you know, strikeout percentage the, is a little bit The walk rate, um, and again, obviously, only just over 100 plate appearances. Not the biggest sample size. But the walk rate is pretty encouraging, in my opinion. Because you see a lot of guys on this rookie list that are walking less than 10% of the time. Uh, he he's sitting just a click under fourteen percent. Definitely something to be excited about. A guy who knows how to get on base, and then of course uh, he's actually hitting too. Yeah, I mean the on base percentage. I mean is a hundred points higher than yeah. his, in his average, which is that nice um, gap that you look for. Oh yeah, you, I mean the thing that's been encouraging is like he's actually he looks like he belongs. Yeah. like he's putting up quality at bats. He's not getting cheated. Yeah, I can definitely agree with that just from an outside perspective. When you see him up, he does not look scared, and he doesn't look like a kid. He looks like a guy who's ready to be a major league player, and the numbers definitely back it up. Yep. So um, another guy we want to talk about, somebody that we're excited about and we hope is not easily influenced, uh, (laughs) Fernando Tatis. Yes, uh, Tatis of the Padres. He was their number one prospect, and things have gone really well so far for him. Uh, he's sitting sixth on the leaderboards for rookies, just over one win above replacement. And um, I can say, having watched him play against the Nationals, the defense for him is good. I think he has potential to be a guy you talk about winning a gold glove down the road, but um, the defense, I, I always worry about these short stops when they come up. You hear all the hype about them, and then it turns out they're air, air mailing throws. They're not making the plays they have to. So for Tatis, it's a good sign that he's playing good defense already. But more so than that, I think the good news for him is that he's hitting. The thing that I the thing that I can't wait for is in you know two or three years when the Padres yeah. are getting a little more competitive. Yeah, is Manny going to be willing to move over to third base? <laughs> right, that's the problem. Um, they signed Machado, and we were all kind of apprehensive about it because of the reputation Machado has doesn't seem to really get along with most guys. So putting him into a team full of young players is scary, to be honest with you. But uh, so far, things haven't worked out poorly for them. I mean, looking at it right now, they're sitting third in their division at 500. Negative run differential, which isn't good, but um, definitely more exciting baseball in San Diego this year than there's been in many of the last 10 years. I think one of the things that's exciting, and we've talked about it on other podcasts, is that 
you know, they've put all of their eggs into the basket of rebuilding. Yeah. And you're seeing the guys that they're bringing up look like they can hold their own. You've yeah. got Tatis and um, another guy that we're going to get into later in the pitching, Chris Paddock for the Padres, mm-hmm. has shown. I mean, they really need help in every area, really, right. outside it's, of the bullpen. It's a blank slate almost coming into this year. And and the only question marks that you or I have, right, is they've got Eric Hosmer, who we think is a good clubhouse yeah. guy, good leader. We're worried about the Manny Machado influence on younger right. players. Yeah, that that's where you are kind of as bad as the Hosmer contract looks, if he's able to coach these guys up, it'll be worth it in the long term. Mm -hmm. Um, Looking at the rest of our list, uh, neither of us watched much Carson Kelly of the Diamondbacks, but give him a shout-out. Leading rookie catchers, wins above replacement, got the Diamondbacks competitive this year which is not what we foresaw no uh we all expected the Diamondbacks to be in the marlins territory at the bottom so good for him and good for them um we would be doing a disservice to anybody out there if we didn't mention vladdy vladdy is not had and it's hard to reach uh, you know these crazy expectations you know not only is your dad a hall of famer but you've been brought up in this lore in minor leagues once you've been drafted of just being like the second coming yeah and that's that's hard for anybody to handle that's hard for Bryce Harper to handle right and not to mention coming up as the number one prospect in all of baseball right and and coming up onto a team that you know doesn't really have a history (laughs) of really nursing and fostering young talent right Right and, yeah, and mostly a veteran team right. over the last six seven years. Right. So having him come up, this is not a year for the Blue Jays where they hope to be competitive in a in a top heavy AL East. Right. But in in a hard AL East. But you know he's Vlad Vlad has come out. You know had his debut, got a hit. He has made an initial impact. The hype yeah. is there. He's got people coming to see games in Toronto, which right. is exciting. Which is not nothing. No, that's I, a good thing. No, it's not nothing to be scoffed at at all. I think the I think the only thing is that you'd like to see, you know, he's I think he's batting 219 right now, you right. know what I mean? I think he, there's an adjustment. Right. And I, I will say the um the fact that he's not striking out an unreasonable amount, I think is a good sign because when you come up um again looking on FanGraphs uh as far as they ranked him out as a prospect, I mean, this guy it's power. He had an 80-grade power, raw power, 65-game power. This guy was expected to come up and hit the daylights out of the ball. Mm -hmm. And um, usually that comes with a high strikeout rate. Like, I mean, we've seen guys like Joey Gallo come up where, yeah, they have all the power in the world, but they're going to strike out 200-plus times a year. (laughs) Way too many times. Right. So for Vladdy, it's good to see him... Being somewhat selective, uh, definitely not, you know, I mean, we're only 73 plate appearances into his career. Right, so it's too early. So we don't even want to think about projecting what he's going to be. But um, definitely a little bit of a slow start, but he seems to be turning the corner lately. Um, I mean, he was the talk of baseball for like a week and a half. That was the only story you were hearing. So we had to mention him. Another guy on this list um Alex Verdugo of the Dodgers yeah I saw him firsthand this past weekend um this guy can absolutely hit I mean there's no question about it and that's that's a good thing honestly I mean he has just about as much um data on him as anybody on this list and even though the home runs aren't crazy he looks like he's going to be a good player 
Yeah, I mean, he's hitting three seventeen. He's played almost every game for the Dodgers. Yeah. He's had to play. He's an outfielder, right? He is an outfielder. Yeah, so, I, I mean, listen, I mean, for a competitive team that should win their division and yeah. it's competitive in baseball, I mean, having a prospect come up and, you know, play meaningful games for you yeah. and, and find their place in the lineup, I mean, you're going to take three seventeen from a rookie. Oh, and, and any one thing it can, can do, um, as annoying as Jock Peterson can be in the playoffs getting those big home runs, Jock Peterson's not a guy any playoff team wants to rely on. Right. So if he can play himself into that role and take plate appearances away from Jock, that's only a good thing for the Dodgers. Yeah, I mean, like, I mean, going into it, I mean, 1.3 wins in 45 games for yeah. a rookie. He's got positive numbers in both. Not starting every game either. No, and having positive numbers in offensive, defensive categories yeah. as well. I mean, listen, he's playing on a really good team. Yeah. With good coaches, you know what I mean? Like, And by the way, the presumptive MVP on his team too in the outfield. Right, exactly. So, I mean... His job is listen. He's not like Vladimir Guerrero Jr., no. where he's stepping onto a team with holes everywhere. And right. Nobody's getting on base in front of him. But I mean, he's he's holding his weight. Right. And one one thing you're gonna want to see from him is um, definitely, and this is true for all young players. You gotta be selective, mm-hmm. okay? Because I saw I saw it this weekend. You know, just for a small sample size, for example, he is a guy that will strike out in spots when you need him to make contact and that's part of being a rookie everybody it happens to everybody that being said that's something for the Dodgers to look at because if if he doesn't start walking a little bit more as as the years go on they're going to be frustrated with him yep um so going forward we've mentioned just about everybody uh quickly want to mention Victor Robles of the Nationals um Victor came in top prospects Top prospect of the Nationals, uh, started off really hot, cooled off a little bit. Um, I, I think it's fair to say, as a fan of the Nationals, Victor has been every bit as good as advertised. He's had some head-scratching plays where he gets thrown out, gets picked off at first, but um, the bat looks ready to be in the majors, and the defense has honestly been good. With all of the shuffling and the injuries that have come across the Nationals' way, yeah. Um, you know, he he was comfortable and looked good at the bottom part of the lineup where yeah. he should be right now. But they moved him up to the two-hole. He struggled a little bit. But as you're getting Trey Turner back, as yeah. you hopefully are getting, you know, Matt Adams and Ryan Zimmerman back yeah. and those other guys, you got Anthony Rendon back, you you can put him back into the lower part of the lineup yeah. where he can act as that second leadoff guy yeah. where he's been comfortable and he's been getting on base and yeah. making a difference. And just to be fair, Fangraphs has him rated as a negative defensively. This is, in my opinion, a case of small sample size because although he's not a gold glove center fielder, he's definitely uh, definitely an upgrade over Bryce Harper's corpse in center field <laughs> last year. So uh, just to recap our rookie team, we have Carson Kelly of the Diamondbacks catching, infield Pete Alonso of the Mets, Brandon Lowe or Michael Chavez at second, Fernando Tatis at short, uh, Vladdy at third, and then um, our three outfield slash DH is Verdugo, Robles, and Vogelbach. Chris Paddock of the Padres, our pitcher. And then uh, any thoughts on Marcus Walden of the Red Sox? Well, you know, the big horror show in preseason and in spring training was the, uh, what you know, what's the state of the Red Sox bullpen? Are they yes. going to sign Chris Kem- or Craig Kimbrell or whatever? And it's turned out, I mean, Matt Barnes has been a revelation. Yes. Brandon Workman, obviously walking too many people, but doesn't give up hits. Right. Sa- had his first career save today. Um, and then Marcus Walden, out of nowhere, has been one of the best 
relief pitchers not only in the AL, but I mean for the Red Sox, he's been a revelation and he's handling high leverage situations. He yeah. came into a game against the Astros, the best team in baseball, got a, got a ground ball double play after Chris Sale left the bases loaded with, with one out. He just looks comfortable and ready. Yeah. And I mean, not to mention, I mean, wins and losses for any pitcher don't really matter, but I mean, he's 6-0 he's and on the season. And after, you know, you get a couple wins... For yeah. a relief pitcher, you're like, okay, those are going to come your way, whatever. Yeah. But, I mean, 6-0, and you start to talk about it. I mean, he's coming into legitimate yeah. situations and getting out. So this is a case where, uh, you know, as as we've learned, you know, the last 10, 20 years, how win-loss for pitchers mm-hmm. isn't the end-all, be-all. This is a case where we can look at a guy's 6-0 and record and say, in those six games that he won, he contributed positively enough to where he gets the 6-0 and record. So it's not... It's not um, six and zero. We're not saying he's the best pitcher in baseball, but we're saying he's come into high leverage situations and he's got the job done, and that's a good thing. Is this kind of like a um, last year, like a Ryan Brazier type situation? I mean, he's thirty years old. He was drafted. Um, he was drafted in two thousand seven. Yeah. Um, he had Tommy John surgery uh, late in uh, the early twenty tens, and then he's kind of. I mean, he got drafted by the Blue Jays. Was with the Athletics. Blue Jays, Reds, Twins. He's bounced around in minor league teams all over, so it's kind of nice to see him actually put it all together right yeah. at the peak of his, you know, physicality as a as you know, just a grown man. It's good to see him be able to come back from all that. And I mean, he's done nothing but come in and get outs. I mean, his his case per nine is ten point nine five, and he's only walking one point eight guys, right? I mean, which is fantastic. So, yeah. so that's our all rookie team. When we come back, we're going to talk about some managers that are on the hot seat. What's going on in the American League with um, the Twins, Houston, the Minnesota Twins? Yep. Sorry, I'm I'm not even trying to be mean. It's they're not <laughs> forgettable. They're having a great season. Any Twins fans out there, please don't hate us. Uh, the Twins, uh, the Astros, the Yankees, and uh, we'll get a little NL MVP talk. Yep. Talking, of course, about Bryce Harper. Stick around. Welcome back to Stats on Deck. Now we are going to talk about a couple guys in the NL East that are on the hot seat. And let's start with Mickey Callaway of the Mets. Um, predictably, the Mets have fallen off since their hot start when they were uh, cruising in first place in the division in early April. Uh, nobody saw this coming except everyone. Including stats on deck. Including stats on deck. We said this numerous times. Uh, we we probably said this more than anything. There are, there are, <laughs> there are three things that are certain in life. Yes. Death. Yes. Taxes. Yes. And the Mets starting out two games over five hundred in the first two weeks of the season and then falling off a cliff. Yes. Now I mean, uh, to be fair to the Mets, if we can be fair to them, um, it's been a a rough schedule for the most part. They played a lot of divisional games against um, against good teams. And they have not played much at home. Now, most teams have played at least 20 games at home. They've only played 17. So uh, it's a road-heavy schedule, which is never good, especially early in a season before you even know if you have a good team or not. I mean, we know good teams win on the road. Uh, The Mets are not winning on the road because the Mets are not a good team. Having said that, they do have a negative 23 run differential. Um and um, <laughs> I'm sorry, uh, we're talking about. We just pulled up a picture of Terry Collins. 
And uh, I think even Mets fans out there can laugh a little bit. I have some things to say about Terry Collins. So the the moral of the story with the Mets here is that uh, they're just losing games straight up, over and over again. The let's be fair to Mickey for a second, if we can. Yeah, Mickey takes over a team that is pretty much left just in shambles, right? With Jonas Cespedes having to get you know season-ending foot surgery, exactly, right? and not in their lineup for what that is. And a pitching staff who was obliterated mm-hmm. physically by Terry Collins' managing. Right, and uh, Terry Collins deserves a lot of blame for what happened. I mean, we're talking about it just a few years ago. They had either ready to come up or in the big leagues, Jacob deGrom, Noah Syndergaard, Matt Harvey, Steven Matz, and Zach Wheeler – that five-man rotation today should be the very best in baseball by a wide margin. There's no question. However, Matt Harvey fell off a cliff because of uh, overusage yep. in that World Series run. Zach Wheeler has had numerous arm surgeries and hasn't looked the same, honestly, since coming back. And um, Steven Matz, before every start, picks out of a hat whether he's going to be good or not that day. Yep. Uh, that being said, Jacob deGrom and Syndergaard have been slam dunks so far for the most part they have but Syndergaard even hasn't shown the ability to be able to to pitch long into seasons right he he's not shown that he can be healthy and uh I think none of us expected Jacob Negron would repeat his historic season from last year but he's definitely looked way more mortal than you probably were hoping I mean just for example I just uh, criticized Zach Wheeler. He actually leads the pitching staff and wins above replacement. Jacob DeGrom is second on the team, which is something that was inconceivable last year. The The thing that's tough, and, and this is why partly I think the Mickey Calloway hot seat is, is unfair, is because when you're looking at a team outside of the pitching staff yeah. of an older Robinson Cano, yeah. right, who's not going to play 162 games, regardless of how fast yeah. he runs up and down first base. True. Okay. You, you know, Todd Frazier. Yeah. Who is, you know. Thankfully not getting a lot of playing time. Yeah. You, you <laughs> know. And then, you know, Rosario at shortstop. Yeah. Nimmo in the outfield. McNeil. Right. I mean, and these are guys that are. This is not a a a, a division winning team. No. And I think all of us expected them to be the fourth best team in their division. Right now they're sitting in third place a game ahead of the Nationals. But, um. Yeah, Brandon Nimmo, for uh, whatever reason, has taken a huge step back in almost every area this year, which is disappointing because he's one of our favorite players. It's a stats-on-deck favorite. He's a stats-on-deck all-star, but uh, definitely not an all-star on the field this year. But (laughs) when I'm looking at the best players on their team so far this year in the lineup, now Michael Conforto, God bless him, has had a hot start to the year once again, and uh, usually he tails off around this time. Right now he's still keeping pace almost at two wins above replacement so congratulations to him but when you look at the next four guys who have been the best players for them Pete Alonzo, Jeff McNeil, J.D. Davis, and Dominic Smith are all young players or rookies four of your five best players should not be rookies right that's concerning right so I the idea, I guess, when they constructed this team, and especially doing you know the big trade to get Diaz for, yeah. as a closer, you have Juris Familiar resigning him, right. and then with the starting rotation is we shouldn't have to score a lot of runs to win baseball games. No, but that should be the, the thought. Pro- that, we we knew at the time that trade was flawed, right? And it was because 
it's an ownership group looking at their team and saying we can make the playoffs and then the rest of us looking at the team and saying that team can't make the playoffs because you shouldn't be trading for aging Robinson Cano and the best closer in baseball last year, Edwin Diaz, when your team is the fourth best team in your division. Right. Because that doesn't move the needle. As good as Edwin Diaz is, he's really only valuable for maybe 10 to 12 teams at most, the teams that can make the playoffs. For a team like the Mets, he's really not valuable because as good as he is, he's not going to win you 10 extra games that you sh- that you wouldn't have won. I-, I-, I didn't like the trade at the time for the Mets, and I certainly don't like it now, especially with Robinson Cano looking like his age. It, the thing the thing is it's kind of I relate the Diaz thing to to having Craig Kimbrell like on the Padres. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's like it's great to have one of the best closers yeah. in baseball, but the problem is you have to get to him. Right, exactly. That's a perfect comparison because Kimbrell's career honestly was a little bit wasted for the short time in San Diego. You need when you have a dominant closer, you have to be a playoff team. So you don't get the dominant closer and then hope you make the playoff. You build a playoff team and then get and, the closer. And then you add it on. That's why you see – that's why they say, you know, reliever arms and closers are always available at the deadline. Because exactly. you can know who's going to be making – who's likely to be making the playoffs and who's not. But you – like you said, you don't go out and get a top-end closer and then try to figure out the rest of your team. That's the afterthought. You, exactly. you get the closer after you've built the playoff team. One of my questions here, um, trying to figure out – how many more years Edwin Diaz is under contract for. Um, We're going to look that up right now while we talk about him because um, Edwin Diaz should not spend much more time on the Mets, in my opinion. So, looking up the Edwin Diaz contract, it's looking like he is available. So, he's only on... Is that a one? So, he's, this is his... Okay, so he's under contract forever. He still has three more years of arbitration after right. this. So anybody who trades for him would have to give up a decent amount, which is unfortunate for the teams who would want him because ideally you'd want no more than one year left on his contract from a standpoint of trying to get him and not give up a lot. So for the Mets, that actually could work out if they hold on to him over the next three years. Can they build themselves into a playoff team? Absolutely they can. Mm-hmm. They have young talent. They have DeGrom and Syndergaard locking down the top of their rotation. But um, just from an outside perspective, it doesn't it doesn't appear that the Mets can make that push to get back into the playoffs. Well, they're also in a really, really good division with right. teams that are well-built. I mean, you have the Nationals who are competitive. You're going to have the, the Braves. Phillies. Braves, they're going to be good with their young town with yeah. Acuna. And the Phillies sitting in first place right now and looking like division contenders for years to come. I mean, if you're the Mets... I'm not saying you have to blow it up and rebuild, but it honestly might be in your best interest because right. no matter what, over the next three years, you would think you're not going to be better than the third or fourth best team in your division. Right. So anyway, Mickey Calloway getting a little bit of the short end of the stick. Having said that, it doesn't appear that he's a great manager. I think he is a mediocre manager, and there are places for guys like that. I don't think it's the worst place. I think firing him would be a knee-jerk reaction and ultimately would be a mistake because even if you don't think he's a great manager, I don't think he's earned a dismissal at this point, right. especially when you consider the injuries. Now we're going to 
move a little bit towards another kind of similar situation with Davey Martinez in D.C. Uh, the seat's been heating up over the past few weeks as we look at the Nationals, seven games under five hundred. Um We've had a lot of conversations about Davey. Yeah. And I think the conclusion we've come to in a year and a, you know, two I mean, We're two looking months, at 200 games of sample size here. Right. So I, not, not nothing. I think the thing that we've kind of learned with Davey, and we've talked about this before, is that he's not going to lose you games as a right. manager, and he's not going to win you games as a manager. It's just yeah. kind of like, if, like you said before, if, if this is an 80-win team, he's going to win you 80 games. Right. A 100-win team, he's going to win 100 games. Yeah, he's not there, – there's – there are managers out there, to name a few, Alex Cora, A.J. Hinch, Joe Madden, Terry Francona, you know, the usual suspects. Buddy Black is another yeah. Buddy Black, absolutely. Uh, even uh, Dave Roberts. Yep. Dave Roberts is also good at this. Guys who take a team that's a 75-win team and can turn them into an 81-win team. Right. Guys who add value that way. So for David Martinez, yes, he's not a bad manager. No. He's not a bad manager, and I think if – the Nationals hadn't been hampered by all these injuries, I think they could be sitting at or near first place. And, of course, we have the bullpen to worry about, but uh, those things are outside of his control. Having said that, it probably is a good idea to move on from him this year if they don't make the playoffs. And that's, that's a problem because, as we were just talking about, the Nationals haven't had a manager manage three consecutive seasons. Since they've been competitive, they've never had a manager. Now, some of that is to be explained. Right. Right? So, um... Davey Johnson... Davey Johnson retired because he was old. Yeah. Matt, right? Matt Williams was horrible from the start and never should have been hired. Yep. And you couldn't fire him soon enough. The problem was Dusty Baker. When you when you commit to Dusty Baker and he gets you to the playoffs two times... Wins the division. Wins 95. the division. And let's be honest, there were injuries in those years. And he was able Managed to manage through them. through them. He made mistakes in the playoffs... He was batting Jason Moore second. He wasn't great at bullpen management, but at least he got you to the playoffs. He did not deserve to be dismissed after the second year, and it wasn't. Uh, he wasn't fired. The problem was his contract was up, and they didn't want to rehire him. It at this point, from where we stand now, two hundred games later, it looks like a mistake. It does, and the, the situation with Davies, uh, with Dusty, is say what you will about you know the postseason flaws yeah. and managing bullpens, anything like that. That's a manager that yeah. could get through to players, that could get the most out of yeah. guys maybe that weren't the best, right, and, yeah. and really squeeze the last drops out of certain guys. The The reality is is that when you are winning divisions and you're winning 90-plus games, you're making it to the playoffs, but you don't go anywhere from that, especially as the Nationals not being able to progress after, through the first round, right. you can get frustrated. Sure. Right, and then you can think that, you know, well, the way that baseball managerial trends are looking right now, you go get the younger guy who's, who's a little bit more in touch with today's game. Yeah. But the problem is, is that that can be that can be a crapshoot, and you take for granted what you have. Right, and that can backfire on you, as we've kind of seen it backfire already. I mean, David Martinez last year a game over five hundred in a full season. This year, um, a few a few games under five hundred, but um, basically playing like a five hundred level team. Um, I don't think he should be fired mid-season. I don't think there's any fix for that. I think you ride out this season, you trust that you're going to get healthy and find a way to compete. But um, I think it is playoffs or bust for Davey Martinez. If he makes the playoffs with this team after this bad start, then okay, we, we can hold on to him. But otherwise, the seat's hot and you might have to move on from him. All right, well, let me ask you this. If 
Joe Girardi is available, which yes. he is. Which he is. He's at home right now. Yes. Or he's on MLB he's, Network. He's or calling Fox that. baseball games at Nats Park. Right at Nats Park. Well, let me ask this: You get to the you get to another month of the season, you're yeah. still kind of seeing the same like lingering, just under five hundred, right yeah, around there. Absolutely. I mean, why not call him? I think that if the Nationals move on from David Martinez mid-season or after it, and Joe Girardi's available, you do whatever it takes to get him to manage this team. Won a World Series. He's a World Series winner. Uh, he man he manages his teams through one of, if not the toughest, media markets. Yep. And he got the most out of those teams post-Jeter. Because let's be honest, there, there were some years there where the Yankees weren't the most talented team in the division, and he's, he was able to get them to the playoff. Now, he's not a perfect manager, no. but I think it's very clear he... He should not be unemployed right now. And not that this matters, but it totally does. He's also a former catcher. True. Which, if, which, which it man, does matter. Which it does matter. Now, there are people who are like, oh, well, Alex Cora was the second baseman. You know, no, I don't want to hear no. that. No. If you were a catcher, you're going to be a good man. Sosha, World Series champion. Yep. A.J. Hinch, yep. catcher, Absolutely. World Series champion. I mean, that these these are the things that matter. Uh, and if Joe Girardi, you know, if you get on the phone, the only thing that I think about is, You've got a guy who's not too old. Right. You know what I mean? He's not the game hasn't passed him by. No. And he's not too young. And he's had experience. He's won championships. This is somebody that can come in with a relatively younger team yep. that's loaded with talent yeah. and get the most out of him. Yeah, I, I think um if if that happens, that would be the best case scenario for the Nationals. Um as I like to say, we'll keep an eye on it. We're going to keep an eye on that. We're going to keep uh, quickly mention, uh, and when I say quickly, I mean like fifteen seconds. The Marlins, thirteen and thirty-one on the year, approaching a negative one hundred run differential. Just disgusting, unwatchable most nights. Uh, Dom Mattingly, how have you kept your job this long? I Tell me the secret. I think it's the Yankee ties with Jeter. Tell me how you have not been fired four seasons ago. Anyway, that's worth mentioning. <laughs> Disgusting, Marlins. Do a better job. You're embarrassing yourselves. Win 15 games. Win 15 games. I mean, for, for the love of God, Kansas City has at least won 15 games. What I would give, Baltimore has won 15 games. <laughs> what I would give to have the Red Sox be able to play 19 games against Can we just Miami play, Marlins. Whenever your team's struggling, just go play Miami because it's a, it's a freak show down there. <laughs> Good lord! And you know what the worst part is? The absolute worst part. They're on a three-game win streak right now. It doesn't even feel. They like were it. ten and thirty-one before this win streak. Disgusting. They're not an actual Major League Baseball team. Vile. And I blame Derek Jeter. I, there's nobody else wait, to blame. Wait, wait, the buck stops with you, Jeets. We we actually talked about this. Marcelo Zuna. Okay, Christian Yelich. This is a whole podcast. By the Giancarlo <laughs> Stanton. Okay, D. Yeah, Gordon. D. Gordon. Who, I'm missing somebody else, too. Like, Ozuna. Right, it was Ozuna. Go, Real Muto at catcher. Real Muto at catcher. Justin Bohr at first. D. Gordon at second. Echevarria at short. Prado at Prado third. Prado at third. Who bats 300 And then year. one of the best outfields in the game, Ozuna, Yelich, Stanton. By the way, also an excellent bullpen. We just named an entire we, team. We, that's, that is a playoff team. That's, that's that a 95-win team. You know, unfortunately, the late Jose Fernandez, that really hurt them a lot because he was their ace. Yes. And uh, you just literally cannot fix that. No. That, 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 is, that is the worst possible thing that can happen. But um, on a different note, 
do better. What is wrong down there? You won two World Series in the past 25 years. You're on the t- they're on the 15-year plan. Good Lord. <laughs> when we come back, we're going to talk about Minnesota, Houston, New York, Cody Bellinger, Kristen Yelich, and whatever's wrong and, with Bryce Harper. And I'm going to get Nick a glass of water and, <laughs> and a cold rag on his head. Stick around. Uh, we just got Nick uh, two Prozac and a glass of water, so he's feeling a little bit better. We also looked up Bryce Harper's fan graph uh, mm. stats during the uh, break, and he, he, uh, he came back to us at the two thirty batting average and leading the league in strikeouts. No, I've seen it before. Yeah, you watched it last <laughs> I year. I watched it, and um, actually, you know what? Let's just talk about Bryce Harper real quick because when we spoke on this podcast before this season, we both agreed – that Bryce Harper should be at the top of MVP contention in the NL. Now, he was going to, in a lot of ways, a stacked Phillies team. He was going to be the linchpin bat in the middle of that lineup to solidify them. And honestly, it's been, an, it's been a disappointment. Now, again, cannot mention this enough times. Of all the players in Major League Baseball this year, nobody has struck out more times than Bryce Harper. The three hundred thirty, the three hundred thirty million dollar man leading the league in strikeouts. That's a fact. Now the strikeout rate is disgusting. I don't even want to look at this. Now Bryce Harper coming off at, he, for for three straight years there from his MVP year and then the two years after he was a twenty percent strikeout guy. You can live with that. I'm That's fine. totally fine. That's reasonable. But then it jumped up, and it jumped up to twenty four percent last year, and there were reasons for it. Because he refused to walk. His walk rate actually was consistent with his career, but uh, those pitches that he would normally lay off, he's chasing, as you said. He had the highest um, swinging of, of pitches outside the zone right. anyway because he was pressing in a contract. Right, and, and that's explainable. Okay, 24%. You hope, when you're the Phillies, you hope that's as bad as it's going to be unless he's hurt or something. No, no, no. 31% of the time this year, he strikes out. We said this. 31% like, of the time. If he steps into the bat, into the box, there's close to a 33% chance yeah. that he is going to strike out regardless. That's not even making out. No. We're not even talking about making We're talking about... Well, he does that play. He's batting 230 right, right. now. Right. He, 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 <laughs> excuse me. He, Sorry. He gets, he gets out very frequently. That's true. But um, any at-bat. And he's always been a three true outcomes guy more than a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And that's something we all collectively decided to ignore was the fact that he's a strikeout walk and a home run guy. But, um, I mean, this year the power has been okay. The eight home runs, he's had some key home runs, which is something uh, – this is something you don't see as much on the statistics as you do just from watching him. He hits a lot of home runs in games that are already five runs on either side. Right. So um, the eight home runs, the clutch home runs, that's good. Phillies are in first place right now. That's good. Uh, mostly not thanks to him, though. Here, here's the thing that – and we talked about this on earlier pods. We did a whole hour special when he signed on Bryce Harper and yes, what, what was coming to Philly. Here's the thing. You can sit across the table from us, you know, and, and explain us. You can pull up some of these statistics. He won an MVP. Would have won another one in 2017 if he hadn't gotten hurt. You know what I mean? You can have all these conversations with us. That's right. fine. Okay? You know, he hits the ball in a way. 
we're in a we're in a, an era of baseball right now where people care how hard the ball is coming off the bat and how yeah. far it goes when it leaves the park. Yes. I gotta tell you something. I watched Tony Kemp hit home runs, who's five foot one. Yes. Okay, and scrape balls over the wall in in playoffs. That on the statistics counts for the same amount of home runs as Bryce Harper's does, regardless right. of how far it goes. It doesn't matter. No, that's true. And people get lost. This I think two days ago he hit one four hundred sixty six feet. Can he I did. tell you something? That's great. Do you know that? He, do you know the night before he also had three strikeouts? Yeah. And left five guys on base. And the, here's the thing about Philly. Call them unfair. They boo their players. Whatever you want, you, you can you can get into that debate wherever you want. Philly's fans are not stupid. No. And and. They know exactly how much money he's making. Yes. And and what that lineup looks like. And when you have JT Real Muto coming up behind him. Yes. And and producing. And Reese Hoskins. And Reese Hoskins coming up behind him and producing. I mean, it is making Bryce He's making their contract. Right. And we, we talked about this with. Uh, and again, JT Real Muto has not had a great start to the year either. Uh, you know, looking at last year, he was the best catcher in the National League offensively. So um, we talked about JT Real Muto being potentially the the key guy that they picked up more so than Bryce Harper. But, I mean, we're talking about a Phillies team that's uh, seven games over five hundred, and honestly isn't taking advantage of the opportunities that have been placed for them in the NL East. Because let's be honest, the Mets have fallen off. The Nationals have had a horrible start. The Marlins are not a competitive team. And the Braves have been hovering around 500 all year. So the, the the division has been there for the taking for the Phillies. And this is something I would be frustrated as a fan of the Phillies with Bryce Harper because I'm I'm looking at this guy who's supposed to be not only the best player on my team, but the one of, if not the best player in the entire NL. And the guy's leading the league in strikeouts, isn't even close to batting 250, plays his predictably bad defense, and is not living up to the contract that he signed. Now, there's a long time to go. No question. There's a long time to go on that contract, but the early returns are not good. I want to play a quick game with you. It's called yeah. Who Are You More Afraid Of? Okay. All right. Cesar Hernandez right. or Bryce Harper? Well, I want to say Bryce Harper. But I'll tell you this, and I'm, I may regret this one day down the road. Runners on first and third with one out in a tie game. I would rather face Bryce Harper than Cesar Hernandez. How about how about Bryce Harper or Odubel Herrera? I know for a fact if it's against the Nationals, I'd rather face Bryce Harper because Odubel is a, nas- a Nationals killer. I'll tell you something right now. I'd rather see Reese. I'd rather see Bryce Harper over Reese Hoskins or Michael Franco right now. Here's a thing: any MLB pitchers listening out here, Reese Hoskins can't hit a ball. Anywhere higher than the bottom of the strike zone. So stop throwing low to him. Just go up in the zone. Just go. He can't hit it. He can't. Although if you do go up in the zone and it's within 10 feet of his face, yeah. he will throw a He will throw tantrum. a fit and he will try to fight he you. Will call, he will make a bench clearing, an unnecessary bench clearing, and it'll, it'll cost 15 minutes of your life that you wish you had back. So just with Reese Hoskins do the right thing out there please can I, um can I also just say one thing yeah, just about the Reese Hoskins temper tantrums and we're seeing this spread around baseball yeah. a little bit please like be a better baseball player yes. if you're going to have the attitude of a hall of famer do not come in in your first few years in the league and act like you've been there before 
This is this is a problem that we're starting to see, like you know, with the let the kids play and all that. Yeah. I'm fine with that. Let the kids play. If you want to, don't be back, don't be a dick. Just don't be a dick. That's all it is. If if your name's Alex Bregman, yeah, and or somebody like uh, Reese Hoskins, who's the dude for the Reds? Uh, Dietrich. Uh, Derek Dietrich. Yeah. yeah, falls under the same list. Yep, absolutely. Don't be better. I'm all I'm saying is just it's, be, if you want to. You know, talk a big game, back it up first. If it's an 10 to 2 baseball game yeah. in the middle of the sixth inning, right, and you pimp a home, a solo home run to yeah. now be down seven runs, Derek Dietrich, yeah. do yourself a favor and don't take 28 seconds to round the base. Because you know what you're doing. We all know what you're doing. You look like a jackass. You're not an idiot. You know what you're doing when you watch your home runs. At, for the 15 people that watch Reds games, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm I sorry. count myself as one of those people. I'm sorry that you have to watch Derek Dietrich. That's not what actual good ba- baseball players act like. Just keep praying for Joey Votto to bat 16 times in a game. Um, let's move on here to... I need a Prozac. <laughs> I'll, gi- I'll give you one of mine. <laughs> let's move on here to the NL MVP race because Ooh. this one is, one of our is, is heating up right now. Mm-hmm. And uh, in case you lived under a rock last year... Christian Yelich won the MVP in kind of a down year. Um, didn't uh, didn't come close to the numbers that Mookie Betts and Mike Trout were putting up. Jose Ramirez, of course, was in the discussion. Francisco Lindor. The AL race was definitely a lot better players. Now, having said that, this year the NL, there are a few guys who are absolutely having great seasons. And the conversation starts and ends with Cody Bellinger. Cody. Playing an unnormal, playing a position him that is a normal camp as a first baseman. Yeah. Right. Playing the outfield now, not doing a bad job. Great rookie year, by the way. Oh yeah. But yeah, you're right. He's not doing a bad job in the outfield. No, he's not doing a bad job. This will come to burn them when they make the playoffs yeah. again. As right? we saw. As we've saw, and Dave. I mean, Ro- just I want to mention this by the way Please. before we get going on Cody. Uh, four wins above replacement on the season. Yes, you heard that right. Four on May nineteenth when we're recording this. Four wins above replacement. That is tied with his career high. Um, in a hundred and sixty-two <laughs> game or a hundred and thirty-two game season, tied with his career high. Uh, so uh, in four hundred less plate appearances, I guess you can say he's having a good year. Um, one thing to look at though with Cody and Dodgers fans are not going to want to hear this: the average is coming down because you don't hit four hundred in a season. You just don't. And when your batting average on balls and plays also four hundred, which is more than a hundred points higher than you've ever had. It's coming down, well, and it's going to be frustrating when you're sitting there and Cody's on a two for thirty five streak, and you're like, "What? What's wrong with this guy? He he's the MVP. Why isn't he? Well, because he's getting his hits out now, right? And that's frustrating later on. But just enjoy it while it happens. No, you need to because he's batting four hundred nine right now. It's May nineteenth. It's not April twelfth. No, no, he's, he's batting four over four hundred. This is amazing. And his name's not Ted Williams. Now they no. both were lefties, <laughs> right? And they both. We don't have any field. proof that they're not the same person. But I'm telling you, I don't think they're the same person. I'm telling you, like you said, the batting average is going. It's down. coming down. Like and listen, if he bats over like uh, he's a two sixty career hitter, just if, just to be fair. So any three three hundred over, he, yeah. If he if he ends the season even two ninety, he had a great year. That, oh my. That's the problem. Is is. Uh, and I'm not saying it's all based on luck because having watched Cody Bellinger, the ball jumps off his bat and his approach this year has been different. He's been laying off pitches and he's been finding his spots better. 
The thing that needs to be noticed, and this is an early indicator of that you know the average is going to come down, is his on-base percentage right now is 47, which yeah. is crazy. It's great. Yeah. Right? But his average is 409. Yeah. So – and But that's that's pretty much in line with his career, about 80 to 90 points higher than his batting average. But that's the problem. Right. That's the problem. That's how you know it's – they're going to move together and yeah. they're going to go down. And, that, uh, and listen, that's okay. Even if Cody finishes this year with a seven-win year – It'll have been amazing because he never got higher than four. It's just don't expect Cody to keep up anything close to this pace over the next four and a half months. But absolutely front runner for the MVP, front runner for uh, best player in baseball as we stand right now. No question. Um, another guy we have to talk about who has fallen off just a little bit, and that's also due to the fact that um, he had to miss a couple games here and there. The reigning MVP, Christian Yelich. Now, this is a guy whose numbers are not going to fluctuate a lot. This is a guy who we know who he is because he's proven it. Well, he's an MVP. He's an MVP. Uh, He has 18 home runs on the season, 40 RBIs, 39 runs scored in 43 games. He's batting 327. His OBP is 444 right now. Yes, it is. He's walking. You know, the strikeouts are fine at 17.6%. But the thing that, I mean, slugging 725, the thing about... Christian Yelich is there are certain guys in the league that when they step into the plate, regardless of anybody's on base, regardless it's the second or the eighth inning, you're thinking to yourself, oh, God, please just put him on first base. Like, I don't want to pitch to him. If he if he ends up with a – if he ends up just at first base, it's a win. Exactly. That's a fair point. And um, you mentioned the slugging. That's going to come down a little bit. Yeah. Because as good as he is, that's not sustainable. Having said that – most of his numbers are in line with what we saw last year, ever since coming over to the Brewers and changing his swing. Expect Christian Yelich to be in the discussion for the MVP for the duration of this season. The thing that's exciting about this, and um, we've talked about this a little bit before, is this team is going to go as far as Christian Yelich can take them. Yes. So if he's playing like he is right now, that's a really good sign. Yes. That's absolutely. really good. Because they have the tools from everywhere around their team. I mean, you look at their team, you got Jesus Aguilar, yep. you've got Orlando Arcia at shortstop, yep. Ryan Braun, who's aging, Lorenzo Kane's playing yeah, in it. Kane is uh, not having quite as good a year this year, but. A consistent bat and a good defender. You got you made the uh, the sign in the offseason with free agent with Yas Money. Yeah, Yas Money and uh, retaining Mustakas, which was a good move at second. Who's made the switch and it's been fine. Yeah, he he has not looked out of place there. And then obviously you can get to Josh Hader for a two inning save. Right, you know having himself the Andrew Miller Renaissance. Yeah, Josh Hader picking up where he left off last year. I mean, this is a team that, you know, is going to be competitive with the Cubs yes. for the whole stretch. I expect this team to not only make the playoffs, but make noise in the playoffs if things keep going this way. And let me just say, it's better for baseball if the Brewers are in the playoffs. Absolutely. I mean, we saw last year, they they were not that far away from making a World Series. Mm-hmm. I mean, the Dodgers, were, the Dodgers were the better team probably, but the Brewers gave them... Everything they could handle. No question. And who knows how that World Series would have turned out. Oh, wait, we do. The Red Sox still would have won. They won 119 Um, games last year. I I have it on a t-shirt. Two more guys I want to briefly mention in this race. Um, Paul DeYoung of the Cardinals. A renaissance. A renaissance man. The guy's doing it all, and uh, we're really proud of him. And then one more guy. Now, this is a guy we probably criticize more than, maybe 10% more than he deserves, Javi Baez. We expected last year was mostly a fluke. Not like a, not like he's not a good player, but 
being in an MVP discussion was not likely. So I want to give him credit here. 2.6 wins on the year. He is continuing to put himself in the MVP discussion. But let's not get to the end of the year again when he's two or three wins behind everybody and pretend like he's the third best player in the league. Okay, let's just all agree to appreciate him for what he is and scratch our heads at the fact that he literally can't even walk 9% of the time. He's at a 6.2 walk percentage right now and a 29.2 strikeout percentage. He's giving Bryce Harper a run for his money. His on-base percentage is... 364 with a 324 average, which, by the way, is going to go down. Right, and if you look at the the leaderboards on wins above replacement in baseball, the only guy with a, a walk percentage that low is Michael Brantley, and that's because Michael Brantley's a contact hitter. He's the best contact hitter in baseball. So Javi Baez, you should not want that. If you're a power hitter, you're going to want to walk too. So I, that's that's a concerning sign for Cubs fans out there. I Listen, if you want to have the conversation that Javi Baez should make a couple all-star teams yes. and should be on the team, Absol- I, I'm with Absolutely. that. Absolutely. I he's, can have that conversation. He's, he's in the top 15 in the league by far, probably in the top 10, If he wants but, to, but not in the top five. No, and if he wants to play anywhere on my infield, he I'm happy to yeah, have him. He, he is a good player, and I think it's a good sign for the Cubs that he's continued to produce. Having said that, Chris Bryant has to be their best player. Right. The, if they're going to go anywhere. If Javi Baez is your best player, you're going to lose in the wild card game. Exactly. When if Chris Bryant's your best player, you can you can make a run. You can win a World Series. They've done it. They've done it. We've seen it. This is a statistics podcast. Right. Statistically, they've done it. Right. Um, moving on here, let's talk. Uh, run the NL out to dry here. I don't think there's much more to be said about um, the Bryce Harper League, as I like to call it. Um, <laughs> but don't worry. We will mention him again. Um, let's talk about Minnesota. Oh yeah, Minnesota. Oh, if you if you want to lie to yourself out there and say you saw this coming, congratulations. <laughs> Nobody saw this coming. No, the this was this was we've we've said it a million times. This is Cleveland. This is Cleveland's division. They're going to win it by fifteen this, to twenty games. Exactly. Um, that's not the case. No, that is not the case. Uh, looking at the standings, five games up in the division right now. The Twins at thirty and fifteen. Um. Plus 77 run differential. Run differential is not the end-all, be-all, because you're going to have blowouts in there, and it's hard to adjust for that. But having having said that, they have been a prolific offense. The uh, the Twins are scoring runs in bunches. And the thing that you look around, like when you just take a, a brief look at their depth chart. I mean, chart, nobody scored more runs than them. No, but when you look at their depth chart, you're like, okay, well, you know, they have Sano at third base, power hitter. They got Polanco at shortstop, who's fine. Jonathan Scope, who's a good acquisition. Right. Second base, power hitting second baseman. Um, in left field, you've got Rosario, who's arguably their best player. Yeah. But, I mean, you look around this team and you're just like, from everywhere, you're like, oh, yeah, all those guys are fine. Yeah, they're fine players. They're not bad. Kind, they're not great. It's honestly kind of a Brewers situation from right. last year. Same That's sort of what thing. I, and looking at their pitchers, too, nobody has distanced themselves. But what they do is they have seven guys within a range of a half win or better above replacement. It's It's been a total team effort. And I think for Minnesota fans out there, that's the thing you want. You don't necessarily want one guy carrying your team. You want five, six, seven, eight, nine guys all having good seasons at the same time contributing, and then you look up, and it's May 19th, 
and you're f- you're five games up in the division. I like to think of like the Twins as like death by a thousand paper cuts because basically yes. you look at their whole lineup, right? And there's just like there's nobody that's like you know a clear cut All Star MVP candidate, right? But there's also nobody that's a hole in their lineup. Like you just go down there, like okay, three twenty, three hundred, two eighty, two eighty five, two eighty six, and everybody has home runs between six and ten home runs on exactly. their team. Every single guy that's coming up to the plate, it's just moving guys around and running the bases. Exactly. There's just no holes in their lineup, and that's and the also. Thing- it's, it's been good to see Buxton have some success oh, yeah. because um, when he first came up, he was he, he came up with a lot of hype, and it's taken him a while. And let's all remember, this is more of the norm with, with young players than it is the exception. It takes some guys time to get themselves figured out. Having said that, Byron Buxton starting to look like a legitimate major league player and potential future all-star. The sneaky moves that they had that actually have been paying off big time are Marwin Gonzalez, the super utility man, who's yes. just quality, like, one of our favorite players, right? And then you also have Nelson Cruz, who you were banking on to hope you know, squeeze the last couple good years out of him at a DH position. has come in. I mean, he's batting 270. He has uh, seven home runs. I mean, he's he's producing in their lineup. It's the same thing. It's He's another guy in their lineup that can hit. Exactly. Yeah, and then uh, just also wanted to mention Eddie Rosario. Oh. Um, Love Eddie. If you know, you know. Yeah. Eddie Rosario. Eddie Rosario's on the Anthony Rendon team. Absolutely. He's got a place in our hearts, and he's got a place in first place. Um, <laughs> Eddie Rosario's that type of guy where you're just like, you're getting mad because he's three for four and he's yeah. killing your team in a three-game yeah, series. Who is this guy? And you're like, who the hell is that? I've never seen you before. Are you new? I experienced that last year when the <laughs> Twins took two out of three against the Red Sox and Eddie Rosario went seven for ten. Yes. With two home runs and killed me in two games. So I was like, who are you? He's he, And why are you good? He is who he is. He is who he is. Let's talk also about um, the Astros. Uh, Astros coming off a loss today. Their first loss in their last 11 tries. Damn right. Um... Pretty pretty unbelievable when you think about it. I mean, they were sitting at twenty and fifteen, just a good team, not a great team. And then now we're looking at them being at the top of all of baseball. all without Jose Altuve too. Without Altuve, and let's let's remember Jose Altuve is one of the few actual game changing players we have in this league. No question. The thing that's the thing that was cool. I saw a stat on them was they're like the first team since like nineteen twelve. To have two separate ten game win streaks before June, right? And which is crazy. I think any team would kill for that. I <laughs> I think you and I both. Would I kill. would really kill for a 10, 10 game win streak right now. Um, but yeah, just looking at them, I mean, they have all the makings of a World Series contender, as we've seen the last two years, and it looks like it's going to be much the same down the stretch here. They've already built an eight game lead in their division, and it's not like the Angels or the Athletics have been bad. They just haven't been good enough. Yeah, they haven't been good enough. Now, having said that, I cannot wait for free agency in three years when they can't pay Alex Bregman and Carlos Correa. They're going to have some tough choices to make, and uh, no matter how, how you make those choices, it's going to be the wrong choice. It's going to be a great day when Alex Bregman is playing meaningful baseball for the Chicago White Sox. It's third base. Definitely in play. God. Um, one more team we want to mention in the American League, the New York Yankees. Uh very few teams have been hit by injuries the way they have. Uh, John Carlos Stanton not playing. They just had to shut down and do hard with his labrum for yeah. season-ending for, surgery. For the season, which is not insignificant. Who was arguably their most consistent hitter last year yeah. as a rookie. Um, and then also, I mean, you've been playing the majority of the year without Stanton. I mean, without uh, Judge. Yeah. Now, here's the thing that's interesting about Aaron Judge is he's a little bit older. I think he's yes. 28 now. I believe he's so. He's a little bit of a late bloomer. 
every year that he's come up, I mean, every year that he's been playing outside of the rookie year, he hit the 54 home runs. Yes. He hasn't been able to play a full season. Right. That's a concerning thing for the Yankees because this is a guy internally they believe he can be the face of their franchise. And guys like that have to play. I mean, it sounds simple, but it's true. He's got to be playing 145 games plus year after year. The other thing, too, is I would I, – I, and we can pull this up for another podcast, but I would love to look at the, the splits of home and away. Yeah, that, when we can hits, do a whole hour on that. When he, uh, if you have time, go on to Fangraphs and look up Aaron Judge's splits on home and away and look at the differential not only in power, yeah. average, but home runs. It might open your eyes a little when bit. When he doesn't play in, in what is considered a children's ballpark. Right. Not a, not, a, not a competitive ballpark. When there's a jet stream to 200 to right field. Yeah. One guy that has been getting the job for the, job done for the Yankees is DJ LeMahieu, mm-hmm. the free agent signing. Uh, I know personally I think my team made the wrong choice going with Brian Dozier over DJ LeMahieu. So, good for him. The other, the other <laughs> thing that's interesting about DJ LeMayhew is DJ didn't have a starting spot on this team. Right. With, with um, uh, the shortstop, whose name is a Tula. With, yes. No, no, no. Not, um, DD. Oh, DD. Right, DD. Of course. With DD out till at least the all-star break, yeah. DJ LeMayhew literally didn't have a starting spot on this team. And then in getting hit with all of the injuries, yeah. it forced him to start. It's the best thing that could have happened. 12. It's the best. Well, he won a couple batting titles. Yeah. I mean, we knew he could hit. Uh, the question was, could he hit away from Colorado? And so far, the answer has been absolutely. Even though he's playing in a children's ballpark. Right. That, and that's fair. That's fair to say. Um, one more thing we want to talk about here about baseball. Um, we'll just quickly go over it. Um, Joe Madden, enough with your games, okay? We've, we, we know you're smart. We know you're smart. You've won a World Series. Year after year, your teams are competitive. Uh, you're a forward-thinking guy. Stop trying to outsmart everybody. Everybody knows that person in seventh grade. Yep. They sit at the front. Yeah. And they don't even raise their hand. Nope. And they correct the teacher. Yeah. And they try to answer all the questions. It's like actually Madden's with an O-N, not an E-N. Right, and then they scoff at other people when they try to answer questions yeah. in the classroom. That's Joe Madden. Joe Madden definitely has never... Joe Madden can be in a room with the late Stephen Hawking and be like, I'm the smartest guy in this room right now. There's no question. And and this is and the reason that we're bringing this up is just... Uh, it was, la- was it last night? It was last night, oh, um, May 18th, if you're listening to this in the future. Um... Joe Madden got upset because the Nationals closer, Sean Doolittle, uh, sort of did a, a tap of his foot as he was releasing. You'd have to see the video. Um, is kind of Joe Madden's argument was earlier this season, his pitcher, Carl Edwards Jr., was uh, reprimanded by the umpires for doing a, a double tap of his foot where he comes down, taps his foot, then lifts again and releases the pitch. And Joe Madden was arguing that since his player, Carl Edwards, got in trouble for it, Doolittle shouldn't be allowed to do it. Now, if you look at the video, they're not even close to being the same thing. (laughs) Doolittle's is part of his natural delivery. It's not anywhere close to as egregious as Carl Edwards' was. And the umpires, in-game and upon review, confirmed that it was fine. But uh, as Sean Doolittle said, this is just a classic case of Joe Madden trying to show everyone how smart he is. Which, which, by the way, we've seen before by moving your pitcher into left field to try to steal yeah. outs, doing the Kyle Schwarber, you know, playing center field and left field. Yeah. 
in playoff games. Right, which uh, is a disaster. Which is a disaster, as we've seen. It actually cost him a playoff series. Um, no, but this is this is one of those cases where, like, Joe Madden is looking at the most tic-tac things when you have two outs in the bottom of the ninth and right. you're down by three runs with nobody on base. Right, and he was just – it was obvious to every single person watching that game his only goal was to rattle the pitcher. That, that was, he was hoping that Sean Doolittle's rhythm would be off and that somehow his team could get back into it. Joe, let's just play the game. I, I just like take your loss, go have like yeah. you know carnival in the in the in the in the clubhouse, yeah. get your team back on track, and go win some more baseball. Exactly. Games. I mean, you don't not, have to do this. Your team's not hurting for wins. No, your team's doing fine actually. Keeping pace in that division, just Joe with the Brewers. Just just stop it. Joe. Just stop it, Joe. You, we know you're smart. We know. Listen, both of us would love to have you as a yeah, manager Joe, on our I, team. I want you to be my manager. Having said that, enough with your games, enough with your schemes. Be a manager. Anthony Rizzo doesn't need to pitch. <laughs> he does How did you figure that? He, you knew that he was going to do that? He doesn't need to pitch. That's happening tonight. No, no. Chris Bryant doesn't need to be the catcher in the, in the bottom of the eighth inning with the bases loaded. You, you're smart. Right. We yeah. get it. You don't need to rewrite the book of baseball. No. Just, Joe, keep doing what you do. And do a little bit less. Just do a little less. Horrible. Disgusting. (laughs) Foul. When we come back, we're going to talk a little bit of it about the NBA. Zion's going to New Orleans. Don't say that. Unfortunately. No, he's not. uh, He's going back to Duke. those of us that wanted him to go to a a good team, um, or at least a fun team, or at least a watchable team. Um, So we're going to talk about a little bit about Zion, what we think of the draft, and... uh, about this extremely exciting conference finals round. Yes, sir. Where the favorite has won each game so far. Stick around. Welcome back. We're going to talk some NBA, some Zion. Zion Williamson, that is, not the National Park. And then uh, we're going to do a couple minutes on Game of Thrones. So we'll warn you again when we get to that part, if you haven't seen it, uh, it's gonna be. They're gonna be spoilers. Yep. So we'll warn you again, um, just in advance, letting you know we're gonna talk about uh, the blonde-haired girl, and what's her name? Uh, Cersei. Sansar. That's not right. Daniel. I don't know. We'll get to it. We'll get to it. So let's talk. Um, draft lottery happened this past week, and. Um, surprising everybody with a 6% chance to get the number one pick, the New Orleans Pelicans. Something I don't think any of us were prepared for. Um, all we've talked about pretty much all season, the prevailing storyline has been, where is Anthony Davis going to be traded? Because he's done with the Pelicans. He's gone through the ringer with that. Uh, he asked for a trade. He specifically requested the Lakers. Then he admitted he's willing to go to pretty much any other team besides New Orleans. Um, He wore the That's All Folks t-shirt on the last day of the season, which was not a coincidence. I don't care what he says. (laughs) That was kind of BS that he did that. He didn't happen to pick that out of the drawer. (laughs) I don't know who picks out my outfit. What are you talking? (laughs) Be an adult. Be an adult. Be a man. Yeah. Okay? LeBron's a man. Yep. If you want to play with the big dogs, you got to be one. Um, so New Orleans got the number one pick, and um, we all know who the number one pick's going to be. It's going to be Zion Williamson of Duke. Um, he had an amazing freshman season. He has not officially declared that he's going to go to the NBA, but 
we all expect him to. It would be... Well, let's talk about that for a second. Is there any advantage here for Zion to going back to Duke for another year? Yes. Trying to win a championship in college and then coming out next year. Um, It's not like... We're not going to know who the picks are because, I mean, if we look at it, the Pelicans, Lakers, and Grizzlies all leapfrogged into the top four. So even if we're sitting here and just, for example, the Suns, the Hawks, and the Knicks are the three worst teams... That doesn't mean Zion's going to go to one of those teams. So, I mean, it very well, he could go to Minnesota next year for all we know. Any team that doesn't make the playoffs right now as the lottery stands has a chance to get the number one pick. So, what is, what would, what build me the case why Zion should go back to Duke and wait one more year and come out next year? So, Zion going back to Duke, right? I, being a Duke fan... Yes. My whole life, okay. I'm I'm speaking in terms of I'm not I'm not shattering the Duke image. This this is no surprise. Zion is getting paid in college, of course. Whichever way that's doing, I'm not saying Coach K is associated with it, but Zion's getting money from somewhere, okay. He him and his family are fine, okay. Exactly. For another year, okay, to not go to the Pelicans, who we're not even sure throughout the duration of his rookie contract yeah. if they're even going to have a team. Right. I mean, when you look at the bones of that team. It's 28-year-old Drew Holiday, a fringe all-star candidate. Anthony Davis, who won't be there Anthony next year. Anthony Davis maybe won't play another game there. And But the point is, they literally might not have a team in New Orleans. Right. We might not know. They might be moving to Seattle. We right. don't know where the hell they're the going to go. The Pelicans right now, it's a little bit of a disaster because oh, they a- have no... Well, actually, let me rephrase that. Before this draft lottery, they had no hope for the future. None. The the thing the thing the reason you go back to Duke right is with Zion right yes. you get another year of learning under the, arguably the greatest basketball coach of all time yes right building out your craft yes. you know making another run and solidifying yourself as a national championship with right. an already insane you know recruiting class coming in yes right and you, also um what's the little one's name Trey oh, Jones. Trey Jones coming Trey back Jones for Jones coming back who Zion is close with. Yeah, who who's operated and will obviously be the fo- Zion will be the focal point and make another run with Coach K on the national level in college right. basketball. And I honestly think Zion might be able to grow in college another year just for example like Zion's not a great three-point shooter and I think even as his career goes on we should never expect him to be, you know, even, let's say, for example, Chris Middleton yep. from the three-point line. But that's not his game. The problem was with Cam Reddish struggling to shoot so much, uh, Trey Jones having a weak outside shot, and R.J. Barrett being such a drive-and-kick kind of guy, it clogged up the floor so much where as good as Zion was, he wasn't able to reach his full potential in right. college. So no. if you come back another year, the floor is a little bit bigger. There's more shooting around you you might be able to be even better. Right, and it's another year to grow under the greatest coach of all time. The other the other added benefit of it is you go through another year in college, you don't have to go play in New Orleans. Right. And and face the facts of not only not having a glimpse of, like, you know, having the same coaching, the same front office staff, yes. having to relocate the entire team. Right. right, which is in play. Which is absolutely in play for a struggling franchise that has 26 people come to a game right. if they're lucky. And it, honestly, just not to spend too much time talking about their um the fan base in new orleans because i i mean i know new orleans fans are passionate the way they follow the saints they're one of the best fan bases in the league but for whatever reason the pelicans previously the Hornets, have never had that same following in new orleans and um yeah zion would help that 
Zion will get people to go to the games. But, I mean, we're talking about in 2012, they got Anthony Davis in a similar spot. The presumptive best player in the draft and in the last few years comes to that team. And I feel like it's just more of the same. It's the young guy who comes in with all the weight on his shoulders, is individually a great player, and they never build a team around him enough to be competitive. And, the, I mean, just to show you just initially, I mean, you know, as soon as it was announced yeah. that, that the Pelicans were getting the first pick, they had, I think it was something like two to 3,000 season ticket sales yeah. within the first hour yeah. after he after the, the pick was given to the Pelicans. This is build out, building out the scenario. If he goes to the Knicks, right, with yeah. as a dysfunctional organization as you can find, right? Yes. He's in the New York media, yes. right? There's hope for maybe building a team around him and of things course, like that yeah. for the future. There's options with, with that that you can have. You go to the Pelicans where it isn't basketball first. Right. It's never been a basketball town. They could possibly be moving somewhere. Right. I mean, it's very fragile. Right, and, and that's not to say um, – one, one of the things I don't like about the NBA is how – focused we are on the big markets on los angeles new york chicago boston to name a few um like boston needs more championship um but uh in the nba more so than any sport we see these guys always wanting to go to these bigger markets for um you know endorsement opportunities for media coverage whatever it is but the problem i have here is um we're not talking about zion going to for example the atlanta hawks now atlanta they that would be a good situation for Zion because they are dedicated to that team, the fan base is, and they have a good young core that he could build himself to be a great player in. With New Orleans, it's kind of, as we were just mentioning, it's 28-year-old Drew Holiday, a fringe all-star. Anthony Davis is on his way out. We don't know if they're getting Jason Tatum or Jalen Brown or Brandon Ingram or anybody. Right. We, all we have there in New Orleans is pretty much nothing with some bad contracts on the books and then Zion. No, it's that it's a great point. The 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 point that I think is disappointing is that you would hope with wherever he would go regardless of the struggling, you know, franchises and you know wins and loss records. Yeah. Like if he goes to the Grizzlies right now, yes. you or I aren't having a complaint and nobody's no. questioning if Zion's going to go back to Duke. Right, right, exactly. Yeah, the I was honestly rooting for the Grizzlies to get that pick over to the Pelicans because that would be the exact shot in the arm the Grizzlies need. Losing Mark Gasol in a trade as he's gotten older, and then uh, Mike Conley eventually going to be traded, we think. Zion would be the perfect franchise piece to build that team around for the next 10 years. But with the Pelicans, it just doesn't feel the same way. Right. And, I mean, even even going down the list, Lakers, you go play with yes, LeBron. I mean, exactly. that's, that's, a, that's a nightmare in and of itself. You go to – now, this is the only other – the two teams that I was praying that he wouldn't go to – if I had to pick two, would either be the Pelicans or the Cavs. Right. Those are the two. Like the Cavaliers needed another first. Needed overall. another first. And that being said, the second tier of teams I hope he didn't wouldn't go to would be the Knicks yes. or the Suns. Right. Those those are the second right. tier. But anything after that, Chicago's fine. The Hawks, I can even yeah. I can even rationalize. I was personally hoping for the Wizards. The Wizards would be great. You know, like I said, the Hawks. I mean, even the Timberwolves, like you mentioned, like yeah. that's not a disaster. No, that's that's uh, even honestly uh, another team that had a low percentage like New Orleans, Miami Heat. He could go in, in and be the face of the Miami Heat now that Dwayne Wade's retiring. No question. Just for example, now I want to mention um, with Zion. As we were saying, it's expected Anthony Davis is going to be traded before the season starts. And uh, the three most active teams that we know of are Boston wants him if 
if they can keep Kyrie Irving. If they can't, we don't know what they'll do. But if they re-sign Irving, we would think they would build a package around Jason Tatum or Jalen Brown and uh, the assets that they have. Then we also look at the Lakers want Anthony Davis because that's his preferred destination. He wants to play with LeBron. And they have uh, Brandon Ingram, Kyle Kuzma, Alonzo Ball, and this number package. four pick. So they have a package. Uh, no no uh, no whatever. Uh, moving on, uh, the Knicks also want Anthony Davis. And now that they have the third overall pick, that's an asset that the Pelicans would potentially want. I actually think that could be the most interesting of the moves if Anthony Davis goes there because we know who the first pick is, and we know John Morant is going second to the Grizzlies. R.J. Barrett at pick number three, putting Zion together with basically his best friend from college, building an NBA team out of that. Even though it would be the Pelicans, I think that would be pretty cool. No, I mean, that's absolutely an option to have. I mean, if you have... You, if you're building a team with two guys that already have experience playing together, yeah. they're best friends. You know what I mean? They're they their games in in on an NBA floor absolutely can complement. Yeah, especially each other. as Barrett gets better at shooting. I mean, we're talking about a great inside out game with those two. I mean, you've got two guys who can basically attack and score from anywhere yeah. on the floor, right? And Zion, both guys who rate as good defenders going forward as well. Yep, and and the other thing that's good about Zion too is he doesn't necessarily need to have the ball in his hands. To be, to be able to work, he's right. at that in-between size where he can operate on both sides of a pick-and-roll. He's going to become a better shooter, and he can work in the isolation. And same Absolutely. with RJ. But there's enough space to move the ball. I mean, a good example is different types of players, though, obviously, is Chris Paul and um, and James Harden being yep. able to share the ball right. and, and lead a team. Yeah, I think that's something we get too caught up with sometimes, wondering how guys fit in together. Um, as LeBron famously once said, don't fit out, fit in. And I think with Zion and uh, R.J. Barrett together, they could definitely fit in. So that's in play. I mean, that's the thing. It's not likely, but it's possible that that could happen. Um, Like we mentioned, John Morant going second overall to the Grizzlies. As far as we know, that's a lock. Yep. Um, But a lot of people are going to be saying this over the next few weeks and next couple months. It's a three-player draft. Zion, it's very ja, top heavy, and RJ, and um, I think that's that we are going to see potentially. I think Zion's playing in New Orleans no matter what, whether we like it or not. But just I go think, back to Duke. I think it's it's in play here. If Anthony Davis gets traded to the Lakers or the Knicks, Zion could be playing with another young rookie, and honestly, I think that's a good thing. I think if you're going to build around Zion, you don't do it with Drew Holiday and some veterans. No. You, 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 you start restart, yeah. make Zion the face of the team, and pray that he gets good quickly. All right, so let me ask, let me ask you a question. Going down and not with the top three, yeah. there's always a player that sneaks into like, you know, the, the teens or like, you know, the, you yes. know, the upper like, pick 8, 9, 10 or whatever that always comes out and surprises people and has kind of like that Damian Lillard kind of career. Yes. And this is a very guard-heavy draft. Who would be your pick of guys, like of two or two guys you'd pick that would be, you know, like nobody's talking about and that's an all-star lead a team? I, I want to mention um, Cam Reddish. Okay. That's a good pick. Cam Reddish is a guy that I've liked from the start, from before his career started at Duke, from what little I knew of him. The tools are there to be not just a great 3 and D player, but, I mean, uh, I'm looking at the Ringers draft board right here. They compare him to Paul George. Mm-hmm. And I think anybody who's watched Cam Reddish 
physically sees that he could, in the best case scenario, be like Paul George. So that's, I see, if he realizes his potential, he could be a superstar. The problem is, it was not there for him at Duke last year. No, I think he got pushed to the side yeah. um, a little bit. He was the he, odd man out. Well, he was quoted in saying that, you know, a week ago that he was, you know, he played point guard position in high school and he was used to having the ball in his hands and not be a spot-up shooter. Yeah. And at Duke, that's what he was assigned to do, basically. Right. And it, it, it was uncomfortable for him. I think Cam absolutely, with the offensive tools to be able to, you know, win battles in isolation, spot up and make big shots. I mean, he, I, I have no question he can do that. He's going to have to be better defensively. Yes. No question. He's and gonna have the to shot's going to have to come along. And the shot's going to have to be better. But there's no question that he could, that he could be an absolute, you know, scoring, you know, yeah. just absolutely I mean, if he had teams. a better year in college, we could be talking about him as a top three pick. No question. So the guy that I actually have um, on my list is um, the surprise, you know, could could lead a team. Um, yeah. They have him going 13th to the Miami Heat, which is a situation I like for him with Dwayne Wade retiring. He's Romeo Langford, played at Indiana. Um, he, has, he has natural scoring. He um, can play both sides of, of the floor, and he also defends his position pretty well. The thing with Romeo Langford is he has the ability to pull up from anywhere on the floor and kind of has a little bit of that, like, Damian Lillard kind of, like, I mean, just screw you mentality. Right. Where it's like, I'm going to shoot my shot from wherever it is. And I think especially on the Miami Heat, he's going to get shots. Oh, absolutely. And he, and he can take over games, and he did it He did it in college. Romeo Langford is able to be faster, get to the rim, and he's a little bit undersized, but he can absolutely play um, in any position. Yeah, I could see him jumping up. Uh, like you said, the ringer has him in pick number 13. I could see him jumping up not only into the top 10, but, um, I mean, guys, when we get to the draft, it all looks so simple from now. We're like, oh, we know this guy's better than that guy, and this guy's better than than whoever. But as we get closer to the draft, teams are going to convince themselves that whoever this guy is, he's going to be my guy. And I think Romeo Langford's a really good uh, candidate for a guy that can jump up into the top eight or so of the draft. The other the other person, too, that I'll mention, um, just because he was an absolute world beater on some of the highest stages, is Kobe White Yes, um, out of North Carolina. Um, he's one of the fastest players in the draft. He can score from end to end. He'll rebound. He'll play decent defense. And in an open big floor like the NBA, yes. he can pull up from anywhere on the floor and score. That's another guy. They have him going yeah, seven they, to Chicago. They have him compared to Jamal Murray. And I think that's actually a a good comparison because um, we saw, uh, you know, the thing we said in the second round, the Nuggets go as Jamal Murray goes. If he has a good game, they're going to win. If he has a bad game, they're going to lose. I think Kobe White has a potential to be an impact young player like Jamal Murray. And, um, I mean, they haven't gone to the Bulls. That's not exactly a great situation to come into with how bad they've been. But I definitely could see him having an impact early on in his career yeah no question so let's talk um finish up the nba talking about uh the conference finals uh as we record this we're about a half hour out from the raptors bucks game three the bucks took the first two games in milwaukee in game one milwaukee came back from a deficit and was able to win and in game two it was not a competitive game for the most part. The Bucks led wire to wire, and the Raptors looked outmatched. My question to you is, uh, and obviously by the time people listen to this, they'll know what happened in Game 3, but can the Raptors make this a series? Can they win Games 3 and 4 at home and make this series go longer, or is this going to be a 
five-game or four-game sweep. Here. We're going to find out tonight if this is going to be a competitive series or not because, like, like we've – like, kind of the rule, it's – the series doesn't start until a team loses at home. Right. And if you've got Kawhi Leonard on your team, yes. you've got a shot. Right. Kawhi he, Leonard has proven over the course of this playoffs that he's no worse than the third-best player in the game right now. I think it's fair to say – Looking at while taking the like, whole year off, exactly. We're looking at guys like Kevin Durant, Steph Curry, LeBron, who didn't make the playoffs. Other than that, I mean, can you really say anybody's better than Kawhi Leonard? No, I, I don't can't think justify can. it. No. I don't think you can, especially when you consider the uh, value he gives you defensively. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think we're gonna we're gonna know pretty quick here if the Raptors win this game. There is a chance that we have a series. Otherwise, we're gonna be looking at nine days out. Nine days without basketball because the finals don't start till the thirtieth, if I'm not mistaken. That's right. Yeah, I mean, like I said, we're going to find out tonight, and I absolutely think that Kawhi can take over a game. You know, have forty points, right? Lock down, hopefully, lock down Gian. Well, I shouldn't say lock him down, yeah, but contain Slow Giannis yeah. enough. Um, but I'll tell you this: if Milwaukee's hitting from three, yep. and and they're you know you don't have Kyle Lowry making shots, and the bench doesn't help right. as the Raptors as they helped all through the playoffs, it's going to be hard. Right, and I will hard. say for the for the Raptors, now Kyle Lowry had a great game one, which they lost, and that was unfortunate because that's the game they had to win. They had no to win question. that. For, they, they were leading. They got a dominant performance from Kyle Lowry. They should have won that game. Having said that, the biggest disappointment for me has been Mark Gasol, and we talked about this earlier, um, running out of gas a little bit. Um, he's getting older. He's still a valuable player, but... Mark Gasol just absolutely getting destroyed by Brook Lopez. Yeah, I mean, he's spacing him out because Brook Lopez has obviously shown the ability to hit threes in mass right. this season. And he's the problem The problem is I think Gasol plays so hard yes. on defense that you get to the Eastern Conference Finals and the Conference Finals and the playoffs, he's aging. You're going to start to run out of gas. Sure, and that's fair. And I, I just – it's hard for me to reconcile the fact that Brook Lopez is – Honestly, in some ways, the MVP of this series so far, and Mark Gasol has been the key guy that has not got it done for the Raptors. Now, the Raptors definitely miss OG Anuobi. That injury really hurts them. Danny Green's not stepping up and making his shots. Um, So we'll see tonight. I I really hope it is a series because out west, it's looking like a four-game sweep for the Warriors over the Trailblazers. I don't even want to. That's just disappointing in its own right. And Damian Lillard has kind of been a no-show. Dealing um, with a rib injury. Yeah, we we learned today that he has a, or I guess yesterday, that he has a rib injury. Uh, having said that, we knew the, the Trailblazers were going to lose that series, but I think we all hoped they could give them a little bit of a run. Uh, the Warriors have looked every bit as good without Kevin Durant. Not saying they're better. Because I know that would hurt KD's feelings. Mm, um, they might be. But uh, Draymond certainly plays better. This is something Kevin Arnovit said uh, when he on his podcast with Zach Lowe. They may not be better, but they are more pleasing to watch without they, Kevin Durant. They look more cohesive, and also I think that you have more pieces that work better. I mean, you have Steph stepping up. You kind of yes. got a little retro twenty fifteen. Oh, Steph has twenty sixteen. Steph, Steph has looked like the every bit like the two time MVP that he is. Yeah, and then Draymond, obviously, you know, getting to play a little bit more comfortable in position and actually having the ability to you know grab rebounds, start the breaks out, and things like that. He yeah. looks like Draymond from a couple years ago, which yeah. we didn't even think was possible. Now, yeah. And speaking of guys turning back the clock, Andre Iguodala. Yes. Um, Vintage performance from him in Game 2 
with the strip of Damian Lillard at the end. Which was a winning, foul. Winning by three. I believe, wait, was that game two or game one? It was game two. Okay. It was game two, I'm right. sure. Just to be, um, so yeah, I mean, one thing I will say about the Trailblazers is they've looked competitive in the first halves of these games. They should have won game some, two. They, they should have won at least one of these games. My problem with it is um, I'm not a huge fan of Terry Stotts anymore. And I just, quickly I want to say why. First of all, Steve Kerr, legendary halftime adjustments. We, you know, we've seen it year after year in the third quarter. The Warriors come out and dominate. Yep. So give credit to Steve Kerr. But Terry Stotts is getting circles coached around him right now. I mean, the Warriors were down more than 15 last night in game three mm-hmm. at halftime. Yep. They got on a little bit of a run, cut it to eight. Terry Stotts waits a few possessions, calls the timeout. And I've seen this all three games after a timeout with Terry Stotts. Calls the timeout. The play out of the timeout is either a turnover or a bad shot, and then the Warriors go down it's and a score on the other end. I, I, I mean, out of timeouts should be the times when you always get a good shot. And you have to give credit to the Warriors because their defense has been outstanding. But, Terry, I don't know if you're the right coach to take this team farther. Um, so I want to say, unfortunately, we're looking at potentially a sweep. We'll see tom- tomorrow if the Trailblazers are able to at least get one game. But, uh, yeah, th- as we sit now, it's looking like Bucks and Warriors going at it in the finals. My Which question to you, can the Bucks, assuming Kevin Durant comes back, can the Bucks at least have a chance to beat the Warriors in a seven-game series? Because only one team's done it since KD... Actually, no. No no team. Only one team has done it in the last four years. It was the Cavaliers winning in seven in 2016. My question is, would the Warriors potentially lose to the Bucs? But there's a world it happens. There's a world it happens because I think we've all collectively underrated the Bucs. A whole year. The whole they've been year. the best we, team we, in basketball all year. They've been the best year. team, and we keep saying, oh, the Warriors, the Warriors. Well, what happens when the Bucs are up? Two to one in the series. Then what happens? So here's what I think, and we've talked about this before, is the idea is that if one of the three, being Clay, Steph, or KD, yes. is not right, right, is either out or not right, right, a, a, a legitimate team, be it the Celtics, the Raptors, the, the, the Rockets. Buckets, the Rockets had a shot. Yes. And they do. Because KD, even though he comes back with the Achilles thing, I don't think he'll be 100%. And Clay hasn't looked right. And Draymond had his best game in Game 3. Right. So there yeah, absolutely it's, been, is, it's been mostly Steph carrying the team. And there, there absolutely is a world where they can do it. But what it's going to take, right, is it's going to take bad shooting performances from Clay. Yeah. It's going to take Draymond being a disaster. And yep. it's going to be KD not 100% and Steph having right. to carry the weight. And also and Giannis the, on takeover. The Bucks are role players are going to have to step up. Because and, and they've done it in this series against the Raptors, to be fair. But when we're talking about star power, the Warriors, as we all know, have the multiple MVPs and the All-Stars. With the Bucks, Giannis is the MVP of the team, of course, and probably of the league. But other than that, you have a fringe All-Star in Chris Middleton, who's probably not an All-Star in the West. And that's about it. I mean, Malcolm Brogdon's looked good as their sixth man. Nikola Mirotic, Brooke Lopez, their shooting, which is good. George Hill's given them some um, some good performances off the bench, but I, I just don't think they have enough 
star power to contend with the Warriors. If they can space them out, if they yeah. can space the Warriors out and everybody is shooting well, like the bigs, you, yeah. know, you got Brooke Lopez and Miritich all shooting well, you're getting help from like, you know, Pat Connaughton right. and George Hill, right? And then you let Giannis go takeover mode yeah. and just be unstoppable. There is absolutely a world where this works. Right. And but if, they're going to have to play above their heads. Right. And if Giannis is able to do that, if he's able to beat the Warriors with KD, whether or not he's 100% that is an all-time achievement because nobody has been able to beat this team in a seven-game series. So who, if you're Steve Kerr, who's guarding Giannis in that series? I honestly think it's got to be Draymond. Okay. It's got to be Draymond because I don't think Iguodala has enough size to stop. I think Iguodala should be guarding Middleton, for example. That's a good matchup. Because Iguodala is usually— Or Clay. He's, or Clay. Uh, no, no, I'm talking Warriors guarding Bucks. No, no, I'm saying Clay would oh, be guarding Melody. Right, yeah. Clay is a great um great wing defender. Iguodala is usually the guy you put on anybody who's like a one two or a three, but right. I just don't think Iguodala has the size to stop Giannis, but I think Draymond does. I think if Draymond's playing at a hundred percent he can be one of those guys that can slow down Giannis. So then, based off that, if, so now switching gears, right? If you're if you're the Bucks, yeah, you can't put Giannis on KD because no. you're gonna you're gonna expend you're gonna spread um, Giannis too thin, right. right? So who covers KD and who covers Steph? That's a good question. I think if I was doing it, I would have Middleton primarily covering KD. And just yeah. do whatever you can to take KD out of the offense. If you can limit him to 30 or under, you've done your job. Right. You've already done better than most people. Um, I like Eric Bledsoe and, jo- and or George Hill covering Steph Curry. Tag team. Uh, not going to do a great job, but going to slow him down a little bit. But then that leaves you, you're kind of caught there because you're picking either KD or Clay. You're going to try to take one of them out of the game. In my opinion, you leave Clay as the guy who's being guarded by Giannis and then just live with it. I think I think KD I think just classic like Clay, he'll kill you in one game. Yeah. But the point is is if you can find a way to steal one in yeah. Golden State, if you it, that's when we'll know if it's legit or not. Yeah. If you can take one in Golden State, and especially it has to be one of the first two. It can't be a game right. 5. It has to Oh no, I'm sorry. Um the Bucks would have home court. Right, so to be, three, to be or three or four. So if they can find a way to hold, we'll, we'll actually know if there's a legitimate shot at game three. Yeah. By the end of game three, we'll know. Because if they found a way to hold, like, you know, if even if they split yeah. at home, which is fine, yeah, and they win happen. game three, yeah. it's, it's, it can happen. Yeah. It can happen. Yeah. And they have game seven, which is huge. Exactly. You have to win an Oracle if you're going to beat them. No question. Because even though they don't have home court, you know the Warriors are going to get wins on the road. You have to be able to balance that. You have to. No question. So that's what we're looking at. Um, Now we're going to take our last break and then do five minutes on Game of Thrones. If you are not caught up with the season or with Game of Thrones, please stop listening right now. And thank you for listening. If you are caught up, listen to us talk about the blonde-haired girl and the guy with the dog. (laughs) Stick around. Okay, so we're taping this before the finale of Game of Thrones. One thing I want to say, um, just off the top of my head, stop criticizing everything. This is one of the most important shows in the history of television. Just freaking enjoy it, for God's sake. Just try to enjoy it. Just try to enjoy it. It's a great show. Whether or not you think the last couple seasons have lived up to the previous expectations, whatever, just enjoy it. This is the last one we get. There's no more coming after it. 
why spend your life being upset all the time? Right. Having said that, Daenerys, why? Why did you do it? It was all there. The bells were ringing. The bell literally rung. That's it. The bell. You was had ringing. it. You. It was in your grasp. Now we are a sports podcast traditionally, so yes. I will relate this to to something <laughs> that is quite true. Daenerys was the 2017-2018 Rockets mm-hmm. in Game Seven against the Warriors. They were 0 for 26 from three. Yep. They're losing dragons. Mm-hmm. Jon Snow's getting all the praise. You're not getting any love as Queenie. No. Okay. The people don't like you. People aren't a fan of you. You're, you know, and you're it's not a- like you're doing a lot to help that. No, you're, you're not. You're flying around on your dragon with your army of foreigners. You got to do a little bit to make the people like you. Right. You lost your confidant in in a, in you know your your friend zone Jorah. Yeah. Jorah. Gone. By the way, not talked about enough. Jorah kept her head level a lot of times when she wanted to go a little bit crazy. Um, More so than John or or uh, she. I feel like she doesn't listen to John, not because she doesn't respect him, but because he doesn't have the same kind of pull that Jorah did. She sees John as an equal, where she saw Jorah. She saw herself above Jorah, but she respected Jorah's advice. Right, and then Tyrion. I mean, it's it's hit or miss which way Danny's feeling yeah. about Tyrion. Tyrion. I mean, half the time. She loves Tyrion. She's all in on his plans. The other half of the time, she's getting ready to execute him. She's getting ready to chop his head off. Yeah. Now, Tyrion has, seems to have a problem with Honestly, that. Honestly, I wouldn't be, wouldn't be upset if that happens tonight. Let's, let's I love Tyrion, but uh, I don't want him to get through scot-free. I mean, nothing really interesting has happened with him for a while. All right. Now, let me just explain real quick. Danny, I put all my eggs in your basket. Yeah, you I, bought in, I was John. You bought in game, game one. I brought in game one of your rookie year. Yeah. Okay, I was You ready. bought the rookie card, the jersey. I had it all. Going every game, managing the fan club, everything. Listen, I listen. I had the jersey. I was there when they were handing them out. Yeah. Okay? I Listen, Mother of Dragons. Yes. Leader of the Unsullied, whatever. Yes. Breaker of Chains. Yes. I was there for every one of your, one, every one of your 26 it. titles. Yes. Okay? I supported you. Yes, you did. I thought you were different. Mm-hmm. And you broke me. You, you know, Daenerys, here's the thing. Um, you broke me. You didn't have to do it. No, you didn't. It was there. It was done. They rang the bell. The, the bell was rung. You won. You sit on the throne. You execute Cersei. And you know what? The people don't love you right now. They will learn to love you. You tell me Masande was, was the straw that broke your back? Which I get, because that was pretty much her best friend. Right, it's fine. I, listen, Jorah can be the straw. Yeah. Another dragon can be it the was, straw. It, it wasn't just one straw. It was everything happening. It was 0 for 26 it is was, what it yeah, was. Yeah. <laughs> couldn't have couldn't have happened worse. And and especially, I, I think it really, really bothered her how much respect Jon Snow had in the Seven Kingdoms. And there's really nothing Jon can do about that. Because he, he said he doesn't want to be king. He doesn't want to be in charge of anybody. He doesn't want the people to be praising him all the time. He just wants to not die. That's like his M.O. It's his M.O. Because he knows what it's like. Because right. uh, he's done. Because he's he, done now, and he didn't like it. Now, Danny, listen to me. Okay? You had it. Yeah. You could you could find Cersei underneath the rubble, yeah. drag out her body, yes. and Dracarys the hell out of her. Yes. Okay? And the, right people in front of everybody. Cheer. the people would love it. People would love it. Okay? Everybody's clapping it up. Everybody be fine. You can publicly execute as many of her people yeah. as you want. Kill Jamie too while you're at it. Just burn his ass right next to her. It doesn't matter. Burn everyone. Listen, he sold his he Wait, sold that was the problem. Oh, Don't yeah. burn everyone. Wait, he sold his oats, okay, yeah. when he left Brienne in bed. Yeah, yeah okay. He did. Now listen now listen, just Danny. 
when you start burning the common people who are that's, ducking and hiding for fear. That's the worst thing you can do. That's when that's when that's when not only have you screwed me, but when Davos yeah. and John exchanged the the yeah, look, the look down on the field after just watching everybody just burn to hell, like wow, this, we went all in. This girl is crazy. This is <laughs> what it feels like to go all in at the World Series of Poker, and yeah. the one card you can't see is a jack, yep. and the jack comes up. Not good. Not good. <laughs> not great. Um, oh, God. So, um, I, I think you and I expect Daenerys will meet her end oh, you on this finale. Yeah. My question to you is, Daenerys's goal since episode number one, pretty much, has been to sit on the Iron Throne. Will she sit on it before she dies? Will, her, will she physically be in that seat at any point tonight? My I, gut reaction is no. I don't think she'll make it there because there's going to be something that happens in the aftermath because yeah. there's a lot of cleanup, obviously, there is a lot of, done. And uh, we know Arya's coming for her. It, I just... King, I don't Night s- King Slayer, Queen Slayer, all the, whatever, yeah. no one, whatever you want, that's Arya. Yeah, the... No, I don't think she sits on the throne. I also... Well, let me ask this. Who do you think... If she's going to go, who do you think's sending her? Um... Who do you think's going to do it? Killing Daenerys? Yeah. I think it's got to be Arya. She already got the, the I know, the but the, I mean, yeah, the let's be, they foreshadowed the heck out of it with That's the true. ending there. With uh, and then you've got the line about they they brought it back with um, Melisandre earlier this season. Yep. Uh, the blue eyes, the brown eyes, the green, whatever. Yeah. Whatever eyes are left are Daenerys's eyes. Right. Obviously, <laughs> Arya saying for like fifteen seasons in a row, I'm going to kill the queen. Well, there's a queen that needs to be killed. Um, my my last question to you would be. So we think Daenerys is gone. We think Arya's going to do it. Does Jon sit the throne to end the show, or is it somebody else? Dude, I, I think I think Jon's broken by this. I think what you saw is him, you know, he put all of his eggs into her basket. Yeah. Both metaphorically I mean, he and looked, physically. He looked not, he, well, yeah. <laughs> he looked not only dep- depressed isn't even strong enough word. He looked, as you said, broken he just when broken. Daenerys made that choice. Right, it was the same look that Tyrion and Davos both had on their yeah. face. It was just like, you know, she had the choice, she had it there, it was all and, done, and then she yeah. did exactly what, you know, in, in a lot of ways was predicted, is she was just, she was going to go, she was going to go mad queen on us. Yeah. And the look was broken, so I think she's, I honestly, I think she's broken John yeah. to the point where he doesn't want anything to do with I think this. John, uh, and there are a lot of parallels to um, when Robert Baratheon took the throne, you've yes. got um, the person coming in and laying siege to King's Landing, Yep. and in that case, Ned Stark, in this case, Jon Snow, standing and watching as the side that he's on committing these atrocities and i think just like ned he's not going to want to sit on the throne or have anything to do with king's landing i think he's going to want to just go back north hang out with the people that he likes and let everyone else worry about the Iron Throne. Well, and that's what I think it is. I think because he's been saying it the entire time, especially yeah. through this season and seasons past, is he doesn't want it. He that does not want the throne. All he's done this season, he done much. Doesn't <laughs> want it. He doesn't want anything to do with it. And I think now that Dan- now that Danny has broken him, and I think he's lost all faith in whatever yeah. you know, leading and restoring order, and yeah. you know, a whole new greater world. I think it's broken him, and I think he's just going to try to remove himself as far away from it as possible. Yeah. I just think he won't be a part of it. I, I have to agree with you. There. I mean. I wouldn't mind seeing John on the throne just because it would be consistent with his character never wanting responsibility but having to take it because he's the best man for the job. I and mean, we saw him 
become the Lord Commander. It's like Spider-Man. Become the King in the North. <laughs> yeah, he's like Spider-Man. Um, honestly, Spider-Man being in the finale is in play. We have no idea what's going to happen. We, we have no clue. <laughs> I mean, listen, Uncle Ben, Uncle Benjamin. You know right. what I mean? I mean, I mean it's, it's all, all over there. the place. I mean, he the guy's just ripping Spider-Man comics and putting them in a medieval setting. Yeah. <laughs> kind of ridiculous when we think about it. But, um, yeah, that's my advice to everybody. Just enjoy it, whatever happens. Just, like, have your first reaction be something positive. Just don't look for problems. Just be like, you know what? Whether I agreed with what happened or not, I'm happy that this show exists. Right, I'm happy it happened. You don't have to love how it ended. You yeah. have to love what happened in certain places. But just be happy that you got to experience I mean, it. This is a great era for television. Yeah. Having said that, I don't see how another show can ever have the impact that this one did. I'm sure it will. I, mean, I just I'm can't sure, see it right I'm now. I'm sure people said it after, you know, The Sopranos or Breaking Bad or whatever. I mean, yeah. these cultural icon shows, but I mean... Barney. <laughs> Sesame Street. Um, Very odd parents. We can go on all yeah, that. That's the, not the point. Probably the best of the bunch we mentioned. <laughs> SpongeBob. Uh, it doesn't matter. Uh, the point yeah, is... Danny Phantom. <laughs> Drake and Josh. It's, it's time to end the podcast now. We're getting... Drake and Josh was a phenomenal show. We, you know, um, that show was only like three seasons. It's it. That's the thing too. All those great shows, there was not a lot of it. Not but long. we just watched it over and over again. I mean, if you told me there was six hundred episodes, I'd be like, "Yep, that makes sense." I watched all. I watched six hundred Ned's declassified episodes. <laughs> and then you're like, "No, there's only thirty of them." Like oh, what? I'm like, "That's not right." No, Go that's back not true. All right, and anyway, uh, that's our Game of Thrones thoughts. Thank you all for listening to Stats on Deck. Wish we had more statistics about Daenerys. Um, we're, we're still compiling the, the body count, so you'll have to you'll have to excuse us. We'll have that for next podcast. Yeah, we might have to do a deep dive here on uh, the destruction she caused. Thank you all for listening to Stats on Deck. We recorded this May nineteenth, and uh, we're gonna look forward to the rest of the baseball season and hopefully things get better yes hopefully hopefully i'm nick laporte and i was joined by jake adams jake boom baby yos ball